Let's say a little prayer, okay? We'll pray to the Holy Spirit and to the Blessed Mother. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who did instruct the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us by this same Spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. And we pray to our Blessed Lady, Hail Mary. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. O Blessed Virgin Mary, assumed into heaven, Saint Joseph and Saint Teresa, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So once again, may the Lord give you his peace. I hope you can see me. You know, I'm sure you can hear me. You know, we used to have a, uh, right on the corner down from when we went out to the South Bronx, there was a little, um, one of those storefront churches, you know, and I was there one Sunday afternoon, and the brothers told me, listen to this lady preaching in that little church. I think the first qualification to belong to that church, you had to be deaf. Because she was shouting away and was, you know, being piped out on the, you know, the loudspeakers. And you could hear her saying, I know you can't see me, but I know you can hear me. <laughs> so maybe you can't see me, but hopefully you can hear me. Okay. So. I decided, decided to use this table. I hope you don't mind be take a little pressure off my my knee. We were dealing with the third mansion. Now, remember, a person who has reached that level has already begun to love God. Remember, we said they've crossed to that. It's a beginning. They're not totally into it, but they have that loving God for his sake. And that's where filial love begins, the love that should characterize us as sons and daughters of God. Okay, that's very important to keep that in mind. Now, what happens is the uh, person, you, we can ask the question here, which I'd like to go into just for a moment here. Um, how long does a person remain in the third mansion? Okay, the answer varies between, especially between St. Teresa and St. John of the Cross. We're going to talk a little bit about him tonight because he's very essential to, for the uh, material on the dark night of the soul. Okay. St. Teresa said many souls, um, she knew many souls who had reached the third mansions and remained there, apparently, she said, contented for many years. See, you're always supposed to be going further. You know, the Pope is going to canonize Father Junipero Serra, and his motto was always forward, never back. Mm -hmm. You always got to keep moving forward in the spiritual life. You never reach a point in this world where you say, I've reached the fullness, because it's open-ended. God is infinite. 
So you always have to keep going forward. But she knew many souls who were contented. Many people showed weakness and lack of resolve, lack of determination, since they were afraid of trials that would be, you know, um, uh, awaiting them if they went further in the spiritual journey. Okay, they became fearful and therefore disheartened, so they didn't grow any further. We have to trust God. God will never let you go through a trial that he's not going to give you the grace to deal with. That would not be fair of God to do that. Remember, St. Paul says, with every trial, God always gives you a way out. So you ne he never allows you to be tempted beyond your, your strength. He will always give you the strength um, and uh, some way out of that trial. She's, she also says, having practiced virtue for such a long time, these people felt no need of advice from others. You know, uh, it's very important to have a spiritual director, especially if you're journeying into these further um, mansions here, all right? So they wouldn't take advice from others. St. Alphonsus Liguori said, if you have yourself for a spiritual director, you have a jackass for a client. That's what he said, okay? All right. I'm just quoting a saint. <laughs> all right. He said, she said it was no use arguing with these people telling them to keep going, you know. They thought their conduct was holy enough. For example, the reason is because by this point, they basically don't fall into mortal sins. They can from time to time, and if they do, they would quickly repent, all right? So once these mortal sins are disappearing, they figured, boy, look at how holy I am, you know, and... Um, and so they wanted others to agree with them. They wouldn't listen to anyone else. This is why St. Teresa stresses that if a person is in this mansion and wishes to go further, they should practice prompt obedience. Even if they are lay people, not religious, they should choose a director and follow him, you know, carefully. But the director should not be just a prudent person um, who agrees with them, Rather, it should be, she said, someone very detached from worldly things so that the spiritual director is um, free of worldly illusions. Okay? St. Teresa points out that such persons have a tendency to be too easily shocked by the faults of others. Why? Because they've lost sight of their own faults. They feel they are perfect. So I don't have any faults, but I see your faults. Your faults are very evident to me. Huh? That's pride, isn't it? Um, as they say in the Bronx, you've got an attitude, a bad attitude. Huh? And that's exactly what they've got, a bad attitude. See? So um, they see the faults of others. They're shocked by this because they consider themselves as having no faults. Once you start thinking that way, you are missing something in your spiritual life. We never outgrow the need to be humble. Okay? Um, if a person is truly humble, has the gift of genuine self-knowledge, they know how weak human nature can be. And therefore, um, they make allowance for it. So a humble person is not shocked by the faults of other people. Because they know anybody could fall. Huh? You ever hear the story about the sinner, the saint and the sinner, they passed each other, you know, and the saint looks at the sinner and said, there but for the grace of God go I. 
The sinner looks at the saint and says, there but for myself go I. In other words, I could be that saint except that I am not trying. You know, I'm not doing what I should be doing. Okay? So um, a, a person who is humble is not shocked by the faults of others. You know, not surprised, not scandalized. Because without the grace of God, any one of us could fall I often think, you know, people think of people like Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin. I said to myself, you know, if I was born in the wrong place, I could have been that person. Only by the grace of God am I prevented from falling into grave evil, right? And that's what a humble person always has to realize. You never put yourself beyond, I, I would never do that. God forbid, you know. Only by the grace of God are we prevented from doing the most serious evil in the world. Okay? Now, others make no further progress, she said, also because they are too concerned, too preoccupied and dedicated to the affairs and the success of the world. They're still very worldly. See, they haven't gotten the world out of their hearts yet. They're still too preoccupied with that. And she points out that if persons who have enough to live on but still strive to gain more and more property and possessions, she said, could not possibly enter the mansions close to the king, no matter how good their intentions and their life. In other words, where they are preoccupied with material things, and this becomes sort of almost like a quasi-focus uh, of their life, she said they're not going to go very far in the spiritual life, okay? No man can serve two masters. Either we become attentive to one and we neglect the other, or we, we love the one and despise the other. Others, she said, cannot progress. Uh, those, those who cannot endure the least amount of ridicule or contempt or want of respect for Jesus, see, they have a false sense of honor. In other words, to go further in the spiritual life, you have to be ready to suffer some kind of ridicule, some kind of um, uh, people are going to insult you. And, and we see that today, don't we, in our society, where to be a, to be a Christian, especially to be a Catholic, so many people make fun of us. They ridicule us. You don't hear this about other religions, do you? But about the Catholic faith, you do. But didn't Jesus warn us about this? He said, you know, the world, the world will not love you. The world rejected me. The world will reject you also. But those who are afraid to suffer any kind of ridicule, any kind of um, contempt or lack of respect because of Jesus, huh, they cannot go that far either. Why? Because... You know, the further you get close to Jesus, the more you will suffer something of his suffering also. And he was ridiculed. He was mocked, you know. And, and so uh, people, so there's three reasons here. So some people who feel they've gone far enough, other people who are too preoccupied with the world, and other people who are um, afraid to suffer any ridicule or contempt you know, for their faith. Mm -hmm. What about generous souls? Can they progress to the fourth mansion? 
The question might be asked this way. Father Dubay puts it this way. How long should a person expect to remain in three mansions before beginning to enter into infused contemplation? Remember, with the fourth mansion, you go from that active prayer. See? You go from active prayer where you seem to be doing everything to the beginning of contemplative prayer where the Holy Spirit's work will be much more pronounced. Okay, it's this is the, the you might say you're crossing the border. You're going south of the border or north of the border. I don't know which way you're going, but whichever way you're going, you're going over the border. Okay, from the, the third to the fourth mansion. Okay, there seems to be a conflict in the answers that St. Teresa and St. John of the Cross have given. St. John of the Cross says that sincere people given to prayer, quote, very soon. Enter the first night of the senses, a night brought about by the beginning of infused contemplation. We're going to talk about these nights, okay? It's, a, it's an experience of rather intense trial and purification, all right? And there are two of them. One happens between the third and fourth mansions, the beginning of the fourth mansion. That's the one we're going to deal with tonight. That's called the, the dark night of the senses. There's another one in the sixth mansion called the dark night of the spirit. Okay, they, they're both uh, uh, experiences of purification. All right. Now, St. John of the Cross says that person who's given to prayer will very soon uh, come to the night of the senses, okay? St. Teresa, on the other hand, doesn't deal explicitly with this point, but um, her clear indication seems to be that people ordinarily remain a long time in the first three mansions, okay? And so, um, uh, so there is a difference here between St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa. She states that in in her remarks in the fourth mansion, that in order to reach it, quote, one must have lived a long time in the others, the other three. So that's St. Teresa's feeling. Then she adds that there is no absolute rule on this matter because the Lord gives when he wills and as he wills and to whom he wills since the gifts are his, okay? So God can do whatever he wants. Look at St. Therese. She was 24 years old when she died and she became one of the holiest of the saints. Now, did she pass through all these ordinary stages? In some way, she must have been on that 747, huh? no doubt, to get through so quickly, you know, to such a high degree of holiness. One last point um, about the third mansion. St. Teresa says uh, in the first two mansions, just like that, she says she doesn't say much about prayer. Remember I told you she talks more about the growth in virtue, the doing of the will of God in the first three mansions. Why? Because that's ordinary prayer. The prayer of the lips, prayer of the mind, prayer of the heart. Those are the ordinary stages of prayer in the first three mansions. And they're called active stages because you feel like you're doing all the work. Okay, you're active. Uh, they're, they're what we call ordinary because, again, any religion can person of any religion can go through those stages. All right. It's once you hit the fourth mansion, okay, um, that you begin to experience a, 
a passive kind of prayer. Okay. Um, well, let me explain a little bit here um, before we get into, I'd like to start with the experience of the dark night of the senses. <clears throat> um, in, in regard to the, the prayer that we just were mentioning, the active prayer, those first three stages, remember, lips, mind, heart. Uh, they're ordinary, and um, we feel like we're doing all the work with that prayer life in those three stages. Remember, St. Teresa had the four ways of watering the garden. Say, remember, you had the well that was deep. You have to drop the bucket, and you pull it up, and a lot of work, and you, you water a few plants. It, that's probably the second, third mansion, right around there. The third mansion may be leading into the fourth mansion um, would be the, the water wheel. You get a lot more water moving with the water wheel than you do with the bucket, okay? However, once you get to the, to the fourth mansion and you begin to experience the fourth and the fifth mansion, it's like that, uh, remember she said it was like a pond, a water, a little reservoir for the, for the farm, okay? You just open the gate of that little reservoir and the water flows out by itself into the different channels, okay? So very little effort, but a lot of watering. And finally, she said, if you reach the sixth and seventh mansions, which, by the way, is the area where canonized saints reach, okay? Uh, you, it's just like the rain. You don't have to do anything. The Holy Spirit does it, Okay? You just kind of go along for the ride, all right? Uh, because there's such joy in doing God's work. Even though the soul suffers, as you'll see in that sixth, in that uh, dark night of the spirit, that second dark night, that's a, a very, very difficult experience. But because the souls love God so much, they're drawn to that. In fact, in the fifth mansion, two signs of the fifth mansion, the prayer of union, is you begin to love your neighbor more deeply, okay? You pray for the salvation of souls, and you bear the cross more cheerfully. That happens as a transformation of your soul. It's not something you bring on. The Holy Spirit brings it on within you, you see? You cooperate with it, you know. Um, so that's very, very important. Now, in the, the, early, you know, the early centuries, you know how the fathers of the church, when they distinguished between this active prayer and this infused prayer, infused, it's put in by God, okay, or passive prayer sometimes referred to, um, they use the example of rowing a boat. That's like the first three stages of active prayer. You're doing a lot of work. You're not going very fast. You're not going very far. But when you enter under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they use the example, it's like putting up a sail in your boat, and the wind of the sail, it gets in that sail and pushes you faster, further, and a lot less effort, right? See? So that's passive prayer, the influence of the Holy Spirit on us. We cooperate with him. But in order to enter into that passive prayer, you have to go through what St. John of the Cross calls the dark night of the senses. Now, St. Teresa does not speak of these, uh, the dark night, as a um, separate kind of experience, a unique experience. She will describe the effects of it because it's part of the fourth mansion. 
okay? But she doesn't call it a dark night. Now, to make it clear, you've heard the expression, the dark night of the soul, okay? That includes both the dark night at the fourth mansion, that's called the dark night of the senses, because it's really your internal senses that will be purified, okay? The, the, the one in the sixth mansion is like the dark night, it's called the dark night of the spirit, okay? That's very purifying. It's almost like a sharing in the crucifixion of Christ, okay? So, uh, but to put the two of them together, it's called the dark night of the soul, all right? But to do disting distinguish them, dark night of the senses, dark night of the spirit, okay? Now, what is this dark night of the senses? Somebody described it this way. A necessary, troubling, and even painful purification at the beginning of the mystical life. In other words, when you go from active to passive or contemplative prayer, you will go through this experience. Now, remember we saw all along the this, this soul has been experiencing um, a dryness. Okay, sometimes also called aridity in prayer, all right? Now, what does that refer to? Well, uh, to go back a little bit, when, when we begin the spiritual life, okay, we begin especially to pray, God has to attract us away from the world and the flesh and the devil because those are very strong allurements to us, to our fallen nature. So we need something that God will use to draw us to himself. So my novice master described it this way. He said, God gives us consolation, see? And he likened the consolation to candy, right? He, he gives the example. He said, you know, sometimes when parents want to teach their little children to, take, to start to walk, they'll put the child on one side of the room, they'll stand on the other side of the room with a piece of candy, and that little child wants that candy so badly, he'll stand up, fall down, crawl, wobble, and stand up again and try to get across that room to get the candy. See? That candy is like consolation that God gives us so that we will enjoy praying. Hmm? Have you experienced that? I'm sure everybody here has experienced something of that consolation. And we like it. You know, it's nice candy. Hmm? All right. Now, in order for someone to go further in the spiritual life, beyond these first three uh, uh, mansions, you have to begin to start living by faith. And faith operates without seeing, uh, without feeling. Hmm? And so God will allow you to go through this kind of experience. They call it a darkness because you don't always see uh, you don't know what's happening. Hmm? Uh, God seems to withdraw his presence from you all of a sudden. Hmm? And you wonder what's happening. Where's that nice feeling I had when I used to pray? I can't pray like that. In fact, I can't even meditate. I don't want to go back to the world, but, you know, this, this is dry. Like Member St. Teresa said, she said, she said, I prefer anything else than having to try to pray with that dryness. So even she experienced that, okay? This is due to the hand of God. See, when we begin 
our spiritual life and we start practicing the virtues, we are going through what St. John of the Cross would call an active purification. These are the things we choose to do to, you know, get over our faults, to correct our faults and our sins, break our attachment to sin in the world, and so on. We choose different mortifications. So we fast. Um, maybe we, you know, like during Lent, remember we'd give up candy and our favorite TV program and, and all of that. You always waited for Sunday, right? Remember that? Because <laughs> on Sunday you could eat candy and everything during Lent, all right? Um, so what happens? We choose these purifications, and that's why it's called active purification. But those active purifications, our practice of virtue is not strong enough to, to weed out our attachment to the world. We need stronger medicine. And who provides that? That's what the Lord provides. That's called passive purification. All right? And so God will purify the soul by uh, allowing us to experience certain things. Now, why do, what, what are the things that we have to be purified of? Well, there was one great spiritual writer. His name was Garagou Lagrange. He was a great Dominican. He said there are three spiritual defects that a person has, even toward the end of the third mansion, that have to be purified before the soul can go on further. And what are those three spiritual defects? First, spiritual sensuality or sometimes called spiritual gluttony, okay? The second one is spiritual sloth, laziness. And the third one is spiritual pride, okay? These are three things that Garagou Lagrange says the soul must be purified. Uh, many, in many writings, you'll find that, uh, for example, St. John of the Cross will deal with the capital sins, and uh, not the gross sins, you know, commit murder or something like that, adultery and things like that, but things that are more subtle kinds of sins under those capital sins, all right, which need to be removed if the soul is going to go on further, is going to learn to trust God. You know, trust is very, very important in the spiritual life. Okay, let's take a look at these three and see what, what uh, they mean. Spiritual sensuality or spiritual gluttony. This is when the beginner in that first stage, you know, um, it becomes so attached to those consolations that God gave him, okay? They're too attached. And they won't do anything if they don't get any consolation. They won't pray without consolation. They won't um, do anything good without giving God giving them consolation. In fact, some people, when they don't get consolation, they turn away from God. They give it up, you see, because they want that candy. If you're eight or 10 months old and your parents holding out a piece of candy for you to come, that's reasonable to think, you know, they just encourage the little baby to take the first step. If you're 18 years old and you still have to hold, give the kid, the kid a piece of candy to come, you have a problem, don't you? <laughs> All right? All right. So, so, so this is the problem here. You know, if we're praying and we always want the consolation, see, St. John of the Cross, you know, had a great 
quote on this. He said, we must seek the God of consolations and not simply the consolations of God. Remember that. That's a great quote. We must seek the God of consolations and not simply the consolations of God. In other words, we love God for himself and not simply for all the things he gives us. Okay? You know, uh, see, we like those consoling feelings, God's love, acceptance, forgiveness. We like to receive a lot of roses from the little flower. Remember, she has a cross in the middle of that. Okay, so to mature further, the soul has to learn to love God for himself and not for the consolations and the blessings he gives us, okay? So spiritual sensuality or gluttony has to go. Secondly, spiritual, um, it must be purged out of the soul, okay? On God's part, what does he do? He withdraws all these uh, sensible feelings, hmm? So the person experiences an aridity, a dryness. There's no feeling there. Hmm? And that's painful for the soul. But the soul needs to go through this because um, it's got to learn to persevere whether or not they feel God's presence or are assured because how are they going to live by faith later on unless they come to trust him? See? So God is ascending the soul through a period of purification so that it may learn to trust him. Okay? Now, what about spiritual sloth? Well, spiritual sloth follows from that spiritual gluttony. When God sends that, you know, takes away the consolation, see, what happens? Every kind of effort that I have to make to do something good, to pray, I, I, I find an aversion for it. It's like disgusting. I don't want to do this. Remember St. Teresa said, I, I'd rather do anything else than have to pray when I feel the dryness. See? So um, we have to be purified of that. Huh? Um, so it leads to a kind of spiritual sloth. We become impatient. We're disgusted with everything. We don't want to do anything. See? It emerges when the consolation is taken away. Okay, we thought we were doing real well. We were practicing all these virtues. Yeah, because we had the nice consolation to help us. All of a sudden, we fall flat on our face, don't we? Because we realize, I can't do anything. I don't want to do anything. I have an aversion to being nice to people. I, I'd rather punch that guy right in the nose. That's the way I feel. <laughs> Whereas when I had consolation, <laughs> well, it held me back from wanting to punch him in the nose. <laughs> okay? Um, and so what happens is very humiliating to this person because they thought they were so holy. And all of a sudden they realize, I'm not holy at all, I, you know. They fall into what you, was used to be called Assidia, the Desert Fathers. When they, they're the ones who gave us the capital sins. They analyze that there are different spirits that tempt us each one to a different sin. And the most feared of all the capital sins was this Assidia. St. Gregory the Great changed it to, um, that became sloth. Mm -hmm. But really what it was was a kind of spiritual listlessness. In fact, the Desert Fathers, they called it the noonday devil because it was a fact 
that most of the monks who left the desert, their little solitude places, left in the middle of the day because the heat. You can imagine living in a little hut in the desert in, in, in uh, you know, Palestine or in Egypt. You know, and you don't have any air conditioning. The television is out, you know, and everything. My computer broke. <laughs> I'm getting out of here. Huh? And that's what happened. And they, they became wandering monks, you know. But the thing they feared the most was this assidia, this listless spirit, see. And, um, and so it led them to be angry and negative, discouraged, and even given to cowardice, huh? They were apathetic. I remember a little cartoon I saw one time. The man is reading the newspaper, you know, probably the sports page, and his wife is working on a crossword puzzle, and she had asked him the meaning of the word. And on the bottom of the, you know, the cartoon, it said, uh, the husband's answering his wife. He says, no, I don't know the meaning of the word apathy, and I couldn't care less. <laughs> so spiritual sloth. You will experience that. You know, St. Francis, when he encountered the leper, you know, that was the most difficult thing for him to do. He couldn't stand the sight, the smell. He would only look at the lepers' colonies, their houses from two miles away. And he would hold his nose, the stench, everything just nauseated him. He had to conquer that. In fact, the Lord led him face to face with a leper on the road. He wanted to ride away on his horse the way he always did, but he heard a voice, the Holy Spirit spoke in his heart, Francis, you must overcome yourself. You must come to see that what you think is so bitter, it's really sweet. And he got off that horse and he went over to the leper and he embraced the leper. Then he put coins in the leper's hand and then he took the hand of the leper and he kissed it. And when he got back up on the horse and he turned around, the leper was gone. It was Christ. Mother Teresa used to say, Jesus comes in the distressing disguise of the poorest of the poor. And it doesn't mean only financially poor or people from the slums. It could mean the person you find most difficult to love. That's Jesus. It may take you a long time to see him. But he said, whatever you do to the least of my brothers and sisters, you do to me. Mother Teresa said, Jesus comes to us in the distressing disguise of the poorest of the poor. Remember how she began her work there in India. She saw this guy lying in a gutter filled with disease and, you know, probably all kind of insects over him and everything. Half dead. She picked him up. She carried him to the hospital. She told the people to give him a bed. And the doctor said, we're not going to waste a bed on this guy. He's half dead. Put him back in the street. He'll die and he'll pick up his body and burn it. She said, absolutely not. There was a standoff between Mother Teresa and the hospital administration for about five hours. Finally, they gave in. The doctor said, this woman is stubborn. <laughs> See, remember I told you being stubborn? If you're stubborn for the right thing, you can become a great saint. But she saw Jesus and that poorest of the poor. And so to overcome our spiritual sloth, you know, either you're going to give up your journey and go back to the world, or at least just remain there at that point, or you're going to fight your way. I'm going to be, I'm determined to go forward. See, you conquer the sloth 
by God touches your will and strengthens you with grace, but you won't have much feeling. This could last for six months, a year. Could last you maybe even a year and a half, okay? But there's a third, a third thing that has to be eradicated, and that's our spiritual pride. Huh? See, this arises when God gives us that consolation, his blessings and everything, see? Often someone will have an attitude that consider themselves a master of spiritual things because, again, they're not committing their old mortal sins anymore. So look at how holy I am. But they're really blind to their, many of their faults. They become proud. See, they think they're a master of spiritual matters. They want to teach others, but they're still only a beginner. Hmm? Spiritual pride can make a person very judgmental, critical of other people condemning them for their faults. Remember I said before, they don't see their own faults anymore, but they see everybody else's faults. And so they become very, very critical. Hmm? Their, their faults are hidden from their eyes because of their pride. Hmm? Now, these are the three things that must be purged out of the soul. So what are the effects then? There are three signs, all right? for the dark night by which you can recognize this dark night that you're going through. You have to have all three of them at the same time. Number one, the person going through this does not find any consolation, no pleasure, no joy, rather either in the things of God or in created things. In other words, they're not going back to the world. They don't want the world, but they don't find any more joy in God. God took that all away, the consolation, okay? So that's the first sign. There's no feelings of consolation. Secondly, despite the fact that they have no consolation, the person loves God very deeply. I want him above everything, you see? So it's this funny thing. There's no feelings, but I know I want him, okay? I'm determined to love him above everything in my life. That's a very important point. And the third thing that happens, hmm, they cannot meditate. All right? And I'll explain that. When you get into the fourth mansion, God will infuse two new kinds of prayer. One is called the prayer of passive recollection. Okay? by which God binds up the mind, the Holy Spirit. He binds it up from its ordinary reasoning power, okay? And so, like it used to meditate and love to meditate about the scriptures or different things, it can't do it anymore. How come I can't do this? I try to do it, and it's, my mind just shuts down. Now, if your mind does not work at any time, uh, you know, you know, you... <laughs> You, you do not have a prayer problem. You have a mental problem, okay? But if your mind works perfectly at every other time, okay, but when it comes to prayer, I can't put two thoughts together, it could be that the Holy Spirit is binding up your mind from its ordinary working. Now, why does he do this? Remember I told you the Holy Spirit becomes more active now, and he begins to supply to your mind without you realizing it, through his seven gifts, an understanding of your faith that goes beyond anything you could have ever come through 
by meditating. He gives you great light. And that's why it's called the illuminative way, light. See, a light of the Holy Spirit is being infused into your soul, into your mind. And you come away realizing things you never understood before. How come I, how do I know this now? You know, it seems so much clearer. So many beautiful thoughts coming to me. That's the effect of the dark night. That's the effect of this uh, inability to, to reason. God will supply, okay, deeper thoughts. Hmm? He infuses this kind of knowledge. It's an infused kind of knowledge into your mind and heart. You have great, great insights into Scripture. You begin to comprehend your faith more and more. You begin to sense that you know God a little bit more than you ever did. See, that's the effect of entering into this dark night and into this fourth mansion. Okay? You receive then the first gift of prayer is called the gift of passive recollection. See, one of the ways that they suggest if you're in the third mansion and you want to prepare yourself um, to try to enter into the, the, the fourth mansion, you can't bring that on. It must be given to you by God. But what you could do is try to dispose yourself. And how do you do that? By trying to recollect yourself by being more and more conscious of God in your life throughout your day. That he is near you know, you're often thinking of him. That's called active recollection. You are doing that. You are, re are recalling this. But when you get this passive recollection, God supplies a sense of his presence to you. Okay? And you realize, well, how, how do I know God? It seems like he's with me a lot now. And I become also very aware that the Holy Spirit is inspiring me to do different things. Okay, it's not just me. I sense someone acting in me. And that's the Holy Spirit. Okay, so you know, so it's a, the first thing. Then you find no consolation in the things of the world or of God. Secondly, you keenly love and desire God. You want to serve Him, and finally, you cannot meditate. Um, you know, in a, a reflective way. Okay, your mind is bound up by the Holy Spirit, but he is using his gifts to um, inspire you with deeper thoughts. All right. Let me give you a couple of examples that I use. Um, uh, here it is. Okay. Um, with the Blessed Mother. Okay. Uh, when you come to that second dark night, which is, remember, dark night of the Spirit, that's a darkness that can last for a long, long time. Have you heard what, what Mother Teresa went through? You remember that? She wrote, they put that book out from her letters. For 50 years, she went through darkness. Now, I knew Mother very well. In fact, the last, next to the last day she was in the United States, I spent 20 minutes. I felt so guilty, and there was all these people around. They wanted to talk to her, and I was, she's talking to me, you know. But I did know Mother well. But I would never have sensed that her soul was in a great, great darkness. One of the brothers told me one day, he said, did somebody ask Mother Teresa, Mother, when was the last time you had consolation in prayer? She said, 50 years ago. 
Now, if, if I, one of the guys I live with, one of the brothers I live with, uh, brother, when's the last time you become 50 years ago? Oh, come on. You want to hit him on the head, you know? Uh, <laughs> think he's fooling around. She meant it. Remember, in the, in the late 40s, when she was told by Jesus to leave the Loretto sisters in India, which she loved, and begin a new community, she pleaded with our Lord, can I remain a Loretto sister and start the community? She sa he said, no. You have to wear the garb of an Indian sister, the sari. So she had to leave that community. He, she saw Jesus. She saw Our Lady. But then God took that all away. And she was in this darkness, you know, for 50 years. That's a long, long time. All she could do was do what she knew Jesus wanted her to do. You know who else experienced that, but for a much shorter time? A little flower. Remember, if you know her uh, autobiography or her, you know, the story of the soul, um, it was on Good Friday. She had her first experience of the tuberculosis. Remember? And she said, she rejoiced. She said, that means in a short time, I will be dying and going to heaven. That was on Good Friday. On Easter Sunday, two days later, Jesus took all feeling about heaven away from her. She was, she had to even, they even had to tell her, no, heaven exists. You have to trust completely. I mean, heaven for her, the desire for heaven was like this table here, you know? And, and yet she suffered that. God took that. In. Now that's, the dark night of the spirit, see? The dark night of the senses, this one here, is not quite as profound. I use uh, a couple of examples which uh, maybe can help you. The Blessed Mother, two examples. Compare her losing the child Jesus in the temple. Remember when he was about 12 years old, they had gone to the temple. He was bar mitzvahed, you know, became son of the law. And um, remember, now, when the people traveled, those who lived in Galilee in the north, um, when they traveled, the Jewish people, they went by caravan. And the men would go together. The women would go together. The children could go with either parent. At night, the families would come together. They would stop just at the border of Samaria because the Samaritans were hostile to the Jews. So they never... They did not go across into Samaria at night. They, they, they camped out. Now, when they camped out at night, the families came together. Well, Mary and Joseph came together, but Jesus wasn't with either one of them. So what did they do? They backtracked, okay? And they went among all the relatives and acquaintances. And three days later, they found him in the temple. Now, uh, Remember, Our Lady said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Did you not know that your father and I would seek you in great anguish? And you remember what he answered? He said, Why did you seek me? In other words, why did you go looking around all the relatives? Didn't you know where I would be? I would be in my father's house. Okay, now there's a very important thing going on there, which most people miss. They think, well, that's, you know, from the only incident from the time he was about four years old when they came back from Egypt, 
and they settled up there in, uh, you know, Nazareth, to the time Jesus leaves home for the, for the baptism of John, that's 18 years in there. Okay? I'm, I'm sorry, it's longer than that. It's, um, no, it's uh, 26 years. The only incident that is recorded of Jesus was his loss in the temple. Now, people say, well, maybe they want to tell us Jesus is like any ordinary kid. He got lost. No, no. There's a deep theological meaning to that incident, you see. When Mary said to him, his mother, son, why have you done this to us? Did you not know that your father and I would seek you in great distress? Which father was that? Who's that? St. Joseph. Your father and I would seek you. When Jesus answers and said, but why did you seek me? In other words, why did you go searching all around? Didn't you know where I was going to be? I was going to be in my father's house. Which father was that? Heavenly Father. You see, he was actually leading our lady to understand more fully who he was. Because at that point, I don't think she understood his divinity because he had not revealed that he was divine. The beginning of his revelation was to his own mother. Because uh, if you read the chapter 5 in the Gospel of St. John, it tells you that the Jews were wanting to uh, eliminate Jesus for two reasons. He worked miracles on the Sabbath. And they remember, they always said he broke the Sabbath. But worse than that, he called God his own father, making himself equal to God. Jesus said that to his mother. Did you not know I would be in my father's house? Now, if the Jews could figure out that Jesus was claiming divinity by calling God his own father, don't you think the Blessed Mother, who had no sin, who had this great understanding of the Holy Spirit, would figure that out? Sure she did. And that's why, what's the next thing she says to Jesus in the gospel? They have no wine. Do you think she was going to ask him to go out and buy a barrel of wine? I don't think so. <laughs> By then she knew. She made the connection. Because the gospel says that Mary, they did not understand what he was saying. But she pondered these words in her heart. So that is an example of what happens when you pass through this dark night. You will come to know Jesus more fully. Even his mother did. I believe that, okay? See, because uh, she, she wouldn't, there was no revelation of three divine persons in the Old Testament. So there's no way she could know that he was a divine person. She certainly had to know he was the Messiah because the Messiah was promised. And she conceived him without, you know, benefit of a man. She conceived him virginally. So I had, I'm sure she knew he was the Messiah. But that he was the Son of God, I don't think so. She had to come to that gradually to understand, okay? Now, that loss of the child Jesus, that profound sorrow is like the experience of the dark night of the senses. What has happened to Jesus? Where has he gone? What is, why has he left me? Doesn't he love me anymore? Hmm. That's what the soul experiences. Now, the dark night of the spirit, on the other hand, is like the crucifixion. And Mary was there at the foot of the cross, 
having to offer her own son to God, the Father. Hmm? Because it was the Father's will. That's why she had to accept the death of her son. And so when you, when you do that, you give everything. And that's what that dark night of the spirit, it's even more profound than the dark night of the senses. Okay. Let me leave you with, it's getting late here, but let me leave you with two expressions that you can reflect on. One of them is from the Song of Songs. Remember, that was uh, written by uh, Solomon, okay, before his first marriage. <laughs> he had a lot of other marriages after that, we know. But um, remember, he likens it to the bride who's looking for the bridegroom. Now, all the saints who interpret that say the bride is the church or the individual Christian. The bridegroom is Christ, see? So what happens to that bride when she's going at night? Hmm? She's looking for her bridegroom. And she meets the, remember, she meets the, the night watchman, and she says, have you seen him whom my soul loves? That's like the soul in the dark night of the senses, searching for Jesus. Where is he whom my soul loves? Okay. So that's a beautiful thought to ponder. St. Augustine also gives us, he had a way of saying things. And this is what he said. He said, God chases after those who flee from him. But God flees from those who chase after him. In other words, God chases after those who flee from him. When we are running away from God by sin, we're moving away from God. What does he do? He's like the hound of heaven. Remember that poem? He's running after us to bring us back. On the other hand, once we love him, what does he do? He flees so that we will chase after him. Separation makes the heart grow what? Fonder. It increases love. There's the longing of the soul for God. You read the Psalms in the Old Testament, the Psalm about the deer longing for the running stream. So my soul is longing for you, my God. That's why Mary Magdalene is a beautiful example of that. Remember I told you, love is blind. <laughs> She's totally blind. She was so consumed with wanting to be with Jesus. Okay. So those are two little quotes that I give you, okay, uh, from the Song of Songs, where is he whom my soul loves? And that's the soul in this dark night, okay? And then St. Augustine, God chases after those who flee from him, but he flees from those who chase after him, okay? When the soul goes through this, it will know Christ even more. Okay, it will be purified of that slow, of that, you know, now it will learn to live by, by faith and not by feelings. Very important if you want to advance further in the spiritual life. You've got to have faith. The just man lives by faith, St. Paul said. Okay, and then finally, um, we get rid of that pride. We have to get rid of that pride and judgmental attitude. God's grace, none of us can do anything. That's why Jesus said at the Last Supper, without me, you can do nothing. But always remember, 
with him, we can do anything. He's the difference. Okay? So never forget that in your spiritual life. Okay. We better stop here or we'll be here till midnight. We'll have our own dark night here. Okay. <laughs>